everyone. I am Farah Kimji, and you are listening to the Futura Talks podcast. I believe the future will be built by those who see opportunity where others see uncertainty. It will be built by people that don't look like the traditional leaders of our past, but by women and individuals from diverse backgrounds that see the world differently and who are driven to make it better for all. This podcast will feature these people, self-made leaders and entrepreneurs that defy odds and are motivated to build a better future. We will also share practical advice for how you can unlock your full potential as the leader of your own Futura. Now, let's jump into today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Futura Talks. Today, I am very excited to be sitting down in conversation with Leah Garvin. Leah is the best-selling author of Unstuck, TEDx speaker and workplace strategist with experience leading team operations across Google, Microsoft, Apple, and the Bank of America. When the pandemic turned workplace culture and team dynamics upside down, Leah's passion for building effective teams became her purpose. So she left a thriving career in tech to drive transformation in the workplace at scale. As the founder of the Workplace Reframe, an organizational strategy firm, she now equips innovative organizations of any size and industry with the tools to cultivate inclusive, motivated, high-performing teams, resulting in higher retention, more efficiency, and better business results. And she also coaches ambitious professionals on how to accelerate their careers. Leah is a sought-after expert in the media, featured across Inc., Fast Company, ABC News, CNN Business, U.S. News and World Report, HBR, and more. Leah and I actually met as members of a mastermind group and instantly and so effortlessly connected, and she has now become a trusted confidant and sounding board as we both navigate our entrepreneurial journeys. So Leah, I am really excited to have you here. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so, so excited to be here. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's dive in. Um, you know, our audience would love to get to know you better. So we're going to take things back and, and by back, I mean, way back. I like, I like to go there on this podcast. So I would love for you to tell us about your upbringing and what you were like as a child. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in the San Francisco Bay area, so I'm still live here now. I'm one of the few, <laughs> um, like folks that say they really were, are from San Francisco. Um, and I was a really, I would say really, really silly kid. Like I loved making up little, um, you know, voices and doing little skits and stuff like that. I mean, I think I've now seen on Instagram, like every set of kids made little skits with their cousins, like over the holidays. (laughs) That was you. (laughs) That was me. Um, and really, really curious and creative. I also really loved to like bring people together, like working in groups and, and, and teams and, Um, I remember like in high school, really loving, you know, helping make sure group projects ran well together and helping kind of like elevate people in those kind of situations. And I think it sort of was a forward pointer to some of the stuff that I ended up doing in my career. 
Yeah. You know, what's really interesting is sometimes when we look back and we remember what those things were that we enjoy doing when we were young, they're often such a good signal of, you know, probably what you would love as an adult, but sometimes what happens is all this, the world happens to you and you take things in a totally different direction, or you take things away. You think society wants you to go. And then eventually you're like, well, I really liked this for me. It's I loved speaking, being on stages, uh, performing. I was in a theater company, speech competitions, that kind of thing. Right. So clearly this podcast thing is, is, is aligned to that. So did you, for yourself though, did you know, um, so, you know, you knew you liked kind of doing team activities, but did you have an idea of what you wanted to be when you grew up? Ooh, yes. Early on, um, I wanted to be a chemist. Okay. I was like really into, uh, hair straightening, flat ironing my hair since seventh grade and products that would work well. And And I'll just pause for any, (laughs) for anyone who can't see Leah now, because this is a podcast. She has very straight hair. (laughs) It's been worked on for decades. Um, and actually I was really into science. I would say in yeah, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, I really, um, and I entered the science fair and actually won in the County in Marin County for projects related to like, which nail polish dries the fastest, um, which hair straightening product works the best. And I think I did another one the third year. And, um, like it was, I kind of blended this interest in, in science and creativity. I made these really elaborate, science boards, you know, like they had those like trifold things and with like curly hair coming off the side, like, like kind of like ribbon that was all curled. And it was like, um, so I wanted to for a while be, I don't know if it's like a biochemist. I can't remember what exactly it was, but to like create actual, um, cosmetic products in a, in a lab. (laughs) Wow. That's that's the early dream. Yeah. (laughs) That is so interesting. And What's what I love about that is it wasn't just science and let me build a volcano. It was <laughs> it was like tied to something like a problem that maybe you were experiencing, yeah. which is which is so cool to at that age, you know, you had that entrepreneurial spirit, even though it was science related, if you really think about it, it's also entrepreneurially minded because you were trying to solve a problem yeah. that you were experiencing, which is where all businesses start. Yeah. I hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, so tell us then, you know, you're, you're thinking you're going to go the science (laughs) track and you're in high school. Uh, Tell us what path you kind of ended up taking and, and maybe walk us through all of that right from high school through university to, you know, your corporate journey as well. Yeah. So, um, I ended up, I went to UCLA and I took, um, in, in all the general education, sort of like first two, first two years, um, I found I was really interested in sociology. So I took a really big detour from doing like science and pre-med and got really interested in, um, in, in sociology and really, you know, understanding, you know, like how people interact and why, and sort of like, what are the dynamics of effective groups and teams and and organizations? And it it was just like, I just found it so interesting. I love to read about it, to talk about it, to write about it. You know, I was, uh, I would help other people with their homework and papers and things like that. It's just like, was something I just completely, um, fell in love with. So I ended up getting a sociology degree. And I think many of us that get a 
like social sciences degree feel like, well, I can't really do anything with that. <laughs> but yeah. so it was a long time where, you know, that was an interest I had, but um, I did kind of diff- different kinds of jobs uh, after college. And um, actually what sort of was my intro into working in tech, I had done a temp job at Bank of America. And when that wrapped up, um, was looking internally and found an opportunity to be like a tech project manager on like a technical architecture team at the bank. I was living in Chicago at the time, working in the Sears Tower, which was pretty cool, or now Willis Tower, I think it's called. And that was my real first opportunity into um, what ended up being really my sort of full career in tech. And so I was responsible for, you know, figuring out project communication, how to really elevate the work that the team was doing to make sure it's getting the visibility that it needed, um, really managing things like project schedule and deliverables. But it was, it was this first interest in understanding, you know, there's like different kinds of roles in technology that aren't only for technologists. Now, after that, I ended up, I also had a strong interest in design. So, um, I ended up moving back to the Bay area where I'm from, um, I mentioned, um, Mm -hmm. and getting a job in a couple of jobs in design. And then, my sort of like big tech um, transition came from getting recruited from LinkedIn. So I literally have been a, you know, 10 plus year advocate of using LinkedIn (laughs) for your job search for reading messages from people. I had someone reached out a recruiter from Microsoft on LinkedIn asking if I wanted to, you know, interview for a role. And uh, my husband and I had been married about a year. He was in school and we decided I'm going to go for it. Uh, so I moved by myself to Seattle. He was still living in San oh, wow. Francisco and took this job that ended up really, you know, becoming what the last decade of my career was working in, in big tech on sort of team operations, program management, and, um, really, you know, has set, has set the stage for having this passion around organizational, uh, development and strategy that I do now in my, in my business. Wow. And what a leap to take, right? Because you're newly married, you're not even living in the place where the job is. So that is a, that is a big jump. And then that kind of took you to also working for Apple and Google. Like these are, you know, obviously household names for, for all of us. And I think for many, pretty much the dream to say, I'm working at one of those three places, what was it actually like, you know, for you on the inside? And, you know, I'd love to know just like the differences in even corporate culture. Was it all pretty similar or, you know, you know, how did, how did it feel to work at one of those big conglomerate type companies? Yeah. So, I mean, I mentioned, you know, I I was not an engineer. I was, um, and so I think especially, in my first experience in tech at Microsoft, I felt I had a lot of imposter feelings around like, you know, what, how can I add value? How can I make a contribution? I think at Bank of America, I was a little bit too young to notice how like, it just like, didn't, and I was just kind of like going and it was like, I had almost like, like a naive amount of confidence around it. Mm-hmm. But when I got to this environment, I sort of knew that the stakes were higher, that these were really hard jobs to get that they were, you know, tens of thousands of applicants for a very few number of spots. And that like, it just, I think that whole sort of story really hit hard. And, um, and I really struggled, I would say the first few years finding, you know, how do I really, you know, make an impact? How, how do I know really where I fit? And I think it was made a little bit more difficult by the fact that I had this belief in, 
you know, really bringing a people centered approach to everything I was doing to figuring out, Hey, if work's not getting done, it's because people aren't talking to each other or there's Mm -hmm. some other like interpersonal gap and, and, um, sort of, you know, I think in a lot of environments at the time, it was, there was a belief of like, focus on the work first and the people stuff later. And I knew that wasn't going to work, but it's kind of the message I was getting. So to kind of have to push through that and, and really keep, you know, keep this belief in like, no, I, this is the way I'm going to approach program management of like first really rolling up my sleeves with the teams that I work with really understand, um, how they work, what's getting in the way of getting things done, help build relationships across teams, help, help really explain to people the, you know, what's in it for them when rolling out a process, mm-hmm. like, this is the problem that you have. Here's how we'll solve it in a really simple way. And here's, you know, what, how it will benefit you. Um, I started to see that in a corporate setting, often that's never explained. It's like, this is the process for budgets, expense reporting for headcount planning for all these things, just like fill this out and, and like come back when it's done. And people sometimes resist that because they don't realize, you know, what, what it's the benefit is to them. So like yeah. really kind of creating a lot of context around it slowly, this started to become, you know, people started really being aware of the value of that and it ended up being a real way I could differentiate myself, but it took a long time. And I had to really, you know, kind of go against the grain and, and sort of, you know, kind of keep following my gut and heart when I knew when, you know, I was getting pushed back. Yeah. And that must've been tough to do, right? Because a lot of those companies are so process driven and you were trying to sort of bring this context and the human side to it and, and actually understanding what would motivate people to buy into these processes. And, uh, you know, so I I can imagine that was challenging, but I, I think, as you said, that's what, you know, maybe also excited you about trying to do things differently. Did that challenge and, and your way of what you thought was the right way to approach these things, was that kind of what led you eventually to say, maybe I'm better off coming at this from the, from the other side and starting my own business. Like, I'd love to know what was going on in your life at the time or in your, in those companies that you were at at the time to say, you know what, I'm actually going to go out and do this for on, on my own now and start your own business, yeah. the, the workplace reframe. Yeah. So, you know, flash forward to working, um, at Google, um, now Google has a lot of, um, lot of like internal training programs, manager development, um, a lot of internal, you know, you can coach peers and stuff. And so it was really <clears throat> a place where I could really cultivate a lot of these interests. And I realized like, that's kind of what I want to do only, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like my, my job was, you know, around product development, doing program management and, and managing uh, a program management team around, uh, of program manager around real software product development. And then I moved into team operations on another group, really getting all this sort of like organizational process off the ground. Meanwhile, I was doing, you know, sort of workshops around team, team dynamics mm-hmm. coaching. And I, I found, um, that it was just, I had such a passion for that set of the work that I really wanted to do it all the time. And I think, um, you know, inside of a large organization, typically that would require you to move into something like HR or into kind of another type of role. But, but I really have a belief that, um, it's not, it's something that is like an, an, it's not an HR thing. It's a, like, it's an addition to that. Like, I really think it's important to have folks situated within the business, within product teams or, or partnering with founders or partnering with business leaders 
that actually have had that lived experience in the product team that understand exactly what those obstacles are understand, yeah. Hey, this is why work's not getting done. These are the way, like, these are the nuances between like engineering and design and product that you have to have worked on actually, like this is in tech example on like shipping the product to understand that. Mm-hmm. And this, I think is a real differentiator in the work that I do, especially with tech, but I think it extends into the, um, into the other, you know, types of industries I work in is really getting to understand what are the obstacles around how the work gets done and really focusing on that because, you know, things like giving or feedback, setting up working norms, all that is sort of like the macro goals, but you, it has to be in context of exactly the problems that people are feeling like they're mm-hmm. facing. And so, you know, I think with a example of, you know, I, I worked a lot with design and UX, there's a real theme in a lot of organizations, um, design really wanting to have more of a seat at the table. If, it, if a company is more engineering and product driven, sometimes that can be at the expense of, you know, design sort of fully, you know, representing the work as they want to. So how do you, how do you address that and create more of like, you know, an equal balance across the three? Mm-hmm. You really only yeah. understand that when you've been in that context. And so this is, that's what I really was excited to be able to do in my business is bring a, like all this experience from working inside of the companies, not like looking at it from the outside, not having a more of an academic lens of like, Hey, I was like rolled up my sleeves, making the spreadsheets, figure out how to get this Mm -hmm. stuff done in a timeline. No one can ever hit with fewer people than we need, no budget. How do we get it done then? And that's what I bring to the, to the work that I do with companies. And so now I, I develop, you know, programs to help, you know, as we talked about in the bio, like teams operate more effectively, build more inclusive teams. And, and run workshop series and, and do group coaching focus groups, but it's all framed around what is like the really specific problems around the how that folks are working okay. through. I, I love that because, you know, first of all, you, you went through this firsthand, right? Like you were doing this work and you saw a better way, but you also saw which part of that whole process that you liked to do. And I think yeah. you realized that you being able to do that part of the process full time was better than, you know, um, I guess how to say it, like trying to do just, you know, you had to kind of deal with everything if you were doing it internally within a company, rather than focusing on the things that you actually really enjoyed about that, the coaching and the, the team dynamics. And so I think this is such a good point to, to, to draw upon for our listeners, because, that's sometimes where your inspiration can come from. Like the work that yeah. you're doing where maybe in your current job, you love 10% of it. And that 10% is the thing that you wish could be your hundred percent. And yeah. the other stuff doesn't light you up or whatever percentages yeah. they are. But often there is a part of it that you love. So it's not about starting over. It's saying like, how can I do more of that work? Whether you're trying to do that internally within the company, or you say, I'm going to start a side gig, or I'm going to go full-time and just do this on my own because I, I, this is the the work that I really want to do. I, for me had a, a similar story as well, where I was doing real estate and finance, but on my volunteering, it was a part of all these committees that were really driving, um, diversity 
and inclusion yeah. initiatives within the commercial real estate industry. So that, but I wasn't getting paid for that work. And in order for me to go and try to do more of that full time, I would have had to go into a whole different yeah. profession, right? It, HR or whatnot. And right. that wasn't fine. You know, I went to school for finance and, and whatnot. So that's where I, when I went out on my own, I'm like, I can do more of this and infuse this into my business and not through just the HR lens. So I, I love that you shared that. And I'm sharing my own as well for anyone listening that that's sometimes where the seed of the idea for your business can come from is really being honest and recognizing for yourself, what parts of the work that you do that you love, even if you're paid for it or not paid for it. Yeah. I think it's, you know, it's a good, good place to, to start. So exactly, you know, how would you say now that you are on the other side of this problem, you know, and you're working from it for, you know, outside of these companies and working for these companies and with these companies, how is that, you know, how it's pre pretty early days for you. So I'd love to, to know how you're feeling about it. And if, if you've made the right move. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny. I, um, I'm a real, like, a person that plans ahead, very, very, you know, like always kind of want to have everything figured out. Um, I think that's why I did like program and operations. Um, and, um, you know, when I left, I kind of thought I'd be more freaked out than I am. I, I'm actually, I'm absolutely loving what I'm doing. And I think it's okay. because like you said, it's so connected to my purpose and what I really loved most about, I looked across and I work with folks like when I'm coaching, it's like, look across all the things that you've done. What were those moments when you felt like you were your, most yourself, most alive, most lit up, whatever it is. And it was when I was doing this kind of work. And so to get to do it every day, um, it's just, it's so, it's so awesome. It's so thrilling. And I think, you know, it's, we were talking before the show, like it is so hard to be an entrepreneur. There's so much logistics, especially when you're starting off as a solo or with a small team and it's also worth it because you, you really get to be sort of the owner of your destiny. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think one, you know, one real driver of doing it, it was, you know, really having a very strong belief in myself and what, you know, I know teams need what I've seen work, um, feeling really, you know, in a situation, a team where I just felt like either invisible or people weren't talking to each other or things weren't getting done. Like I just have lived it and I understand what it's like and how hard that is. And I just really, my, you know, my mission is to help people not have to feel like, you know, work is a place that you're dreading to be at. And that especially in, in all of the uncertainty right now, you know, recession looming for the yeah. U S I mean, I think, uh, you know, layoffs across tech, this is the time to invest in teams more than ever, because when there's change and uncertainty, people like kind of fall on bad patterns around how their work gets done. It can create a lot of competition. It can create Fair. a lot of um, excluding. It can create all sorts of bad behaviors that will then make the team perform worse and create like, like exacerbate the problems. And yeah. so um, one thing I've really been talking a lot about is you know, when you cannot add more people and you can't have more hours in the day or the week, like, what do you do? Well, you have to focus on the how you have to have to focus on how work gets done, making it easier to work faster, easier to work, do more than with less. And it doesn't mean burning people out. It means making sure there's more clarity across how work gets done, making sure mm -hmm. people feel like there's, you know, they understand what's expected of them, how they can be successful, 
who's doing what, right? So they can collaborate better. These are the things that um, sometimes get looked at as like, oh, we'll work on that once this other stuff. You can't get the other stuff until yeah. you worked on that. And it's funny because I, I love that you're sharing this because a lot of companies think about that stuff as sort of like the qualitative or the softer yeah. side, and it's not going to drive results. We need to just focus on bottom line and getting this product done and this, you know, um, you know, tech build finish or whatever it might be. But the clarity, the collaboration and the team dynamics are actually the mechanisms to have all of those results actually happen. Yeah. Right. And, and you're right during times of reception recession, everyone is actually like working less effectively together because they're worried about their job security and safety. So there's a lot of withholding and things that can be yeah. going on. So it's almost the time to, for the employees that are there to make sure that they are working effectively together so that you can navigate through tough times together because yeah. creating this culture of fear of any day I could lose my job. So I better just keep my head, head down and work and, and not voice the problems that I'm mm -hmm. seeing, or that's going to, that's not never going to be good. Right? right. We already know that, but I think it's unfortunate that a lot of companies lose sight of that. So the work that you're, you're doing, I think is really important because it's helping teams to be effective, you know, during good times and bad and, and potentially even saying like, now is the time to fix those internal problems yeah. and address them so that we can work more smoothly. Yeah. Um, what I also loved about the first part of your answer was you talking about it's the work you're doing now is really connected to your purpose. And you can tell because when you speak about it, it lights you up. And to me, I think that is just so important. I feel like so many of us can be out there doing work that just pays the bills, mm -hmm. but isn't internally rewarding. And there's this almost misconception that if I'm going to follow my passion or do the work that's internally rewarding, like I won't necessarily make as money as much money doing that. I won't be profitable. I can't follow my passions. And I would actually argue, and I think you and I are both experiencing this, that when you actually follow your passions and your purpose and you do the things you love, making money is just a how, like, it's just like a benefit that comes from it, but it's so much easier to do when you're doing things that you enjoy versus mm -hmm. struggling to do things that you, you don't enjoy. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's why, you know, the path of entrepreneurship can often be so exciting, even though it's super challenging, not going to lie. It isn't <laughs> easy. And it's like, yes, wouldn't it be nice to just be handed a paycheck each month versus having to go out and get it. But there's something so rewarding about having to go out and get it. Yeah. And yeah. then when you do, you're like, well, my success is a hundred percent in my hands, my success or my failure, however you want to choose it is a hundred percent in my hands. And I think some, sometimes people think that's risky, but I've started like really playing around with the idea and I'm going to do a separate podcast episode, but I'll just share it with you here that I actually think entrepreneurship is a safer path mm. because it is in your hands. Because whether there is good times or bad or a recession, you've got to figure it out. But because you're doing what you enjoy, you're going to be more successful at it than trying to navigate through times that are difficult when you don't love what you do. Like mm. there's so much more safety in that to, in my mind. That's just like how I see it. Yeah. But I, I think well, that's I, the reframe, you know? Yeah. I think that's a really interesting perspective. And and I think maybe it's a little bit of both, right? I mean, I think that the more yeah. we infuse 
I think we can be, you know, bringing entrepreneurial spirit into a corporate job or into sure. any kind of job, I think can be really beneficial, like to be proactive with sharing your ideas and have in recognizing, like you said, a problem that's not being solved and, and, um, sure. and yeah. saying, Hey, let's tackle this thing. I think, I think that potentially it's that mindset that is really beneficial. And if it shows up in running your own business or really building a thriving career and, and whatever, you know, you're doing, um, I think I found that to be, um, a piece of it too. And, and I think, you know, there's, uh, everyone has different, you know, reasons for pursuing a dream or for waiting or for feeling like they need this, you know, financial mm -hmm. certainty in this moment or not. And I think there's ways like we talked about to at least start to bring some of that in so that you feel like, you know, Hey, I am connecting to the things that are important sure. to me. Like, so maybe like you and I both had done in our previous work, you know, doing a little bit about that work, doing a little bit of that work that lights you up, you know, with in colleagues your or in, yeah. your community, in your day job, because I think when we feel like we just have to push all that stuff down, um, it can start to really eat at us. Totally. Like, Hey, I, you know, this thing was important to me. Um, super quick plug though. I think leaving you know, sort of all the team culture building diversity inclusion, you know, team health work is often like left for women on the team to take on women and people yeah. of color bear the most of the responsibility. I think that should be distributed more equitably. Even if, you know, people are saying, Hey, I liked doing that work. I was a woman. I liked doing team culture building, but it still should be equitably distributed. So I think there's oh, I absolutely agree with you there. And I felt like I naturally fell into it because it was such important work to me, but I I always wanted more people to also feel like it was important work for them, regardless of their, their background or ethnicity yeah. or gender, that they were just as equally committed to, you know, changing things for everyone. And, and so it is something that I think, you know, if you're in a workplace or whatever setting you're in that you want to, that you should want to contribute to that kind of work. I absolutely agree. So thanks for sharing that. And also I'd love to ask just like, you know, building on what you were saying, you know, for me, obviously as the person who's left corporate and is running my business, I, I you know, I'm always a little bit biased towards that for, <laughs> as the path for people. But when I work with the clients that I work it with, I actually don't recommend that as the first mm -hmm. option. I usually try to tell people that like, find ways to be an entrepreneur within your company, especially if you actually like the company that you're at, you're just not loving the work that you're doing. Or like you said, find ways to do more of the work that you love or start a side hustle. Like there are so many options before quitting leaving, going out on your own. Mm -hmm. What would you, what would you say to build on that in, in terms of, especially this concept of being an intrapreneur, yeah. which is, you know, an internal, someone who works within a company, but is thinking entrepreneurially about the business and, and also their own career within, within the company. Yeah. It's a great question. And I think one, one thing to think about is, you know, it's, it sounds cliche, but like the, that the career is not a straight line. Like sometimes we'll make moves inside yeah. of a company that feel like they're a lateral move, or maybe they're a step in a direction that sort of like feels like a half a step backwards so that we can go two steps forward. And, um, you know, I had a friend that was exploring a, um, changing roles. She worked in, um, really, really successful as an ind individual contributor in, in a sales role. And she had an opportunity to take a manager role. And I think, you know, on the surface, 
you can make more money as an individual contributor because you can just kind of blow your targets out of the water Mm -hmm. as opposed to being a manager where you're sort of like have this group that has to deliver. But the the ultimate potential of overseeing this team is limitless, right? Because you can help grow this team and you can, you know, she loved being a manager and loved mentoring and coaching and developing people. And so we were talking about it and, you know, we talked about, well, there's some trade-offs there. Like, you know, you, you may say, okay, I'm going to make this shift because the value of this experience is far greater than just like hustling on this, you know, as an individual contributor, trying to hit these targets. Um, it gets to, you really bring me closer to my purpose of wanting to mentor people, coach people, develop mm-hmm. people yeah. of building effective teams of really making a mark on this organization. So I think that's a piece too. When we think about that entrepreneurial spirit is, um, is about really, you know, what, what is our, what are our values? What are things that's important to us? And then how to bring those forward and not just falling like, okay, this is the line like of sort of like success path that I believe I'm supposed to be on, um, in order to grow. And I'm just going to follow this, whether, you know, I really like it or not, or it's for me or not. Um, I I think that's a piece. Yeah. Yeah. I find a lot of times we follow those paths and those trajectories that are obvious because, you know, everyone else to everyone else, it makes sense that that would be the next step that you're going to take versus being true to yourself and saying, what do I actually enjoy? Is this the right path? And if I can go this route, even if it's lateral, but it gets me a chance to do more of the things that I actually love about this job or process, then you're going to be more true to yourself. And eventually you're going to be more successful at it too. Right. Yeah. So the, the, the finances can follow when you're actually being true to yourself. So yeah. I, li- I like that you shared that because yeah. I do think that's an important, you know, consideration. Yeah. One caveat I would say is, you know, if you're doing work that, you know, is undervalued or you feel like isn't getting recognized, that's a whole other thing. And so yes. like, that's, that's a different context. That's not what we're talking about here. And I think that's a problem to sort of work through and figure out like, will this organization give me the visibility around this work that I'm doing that people believe in that I know is needed, but isn't being recognized that will raise a whole other set of questions. Sure. But what we're talking about is like when it's like really, you know, about you being, you know, bringing something forth in the organization and your own internal motivation and your own internal cup being filled versus I'm going to pivot because no one's valuing my work. Yeah, Yeah. right. Exactly. Which, which does happen. And sometimes that leads us to not be in love with our job anymore because no one's giving you the recognition value or compensation that you deserve. And, and, and that definitely needs to be addressed. And sometimes though, when it's not, it leads to you, you know, jumping ship right before you, before you address it. And so, you know, and, and if you're lucky, you know, you can bring that up within your organization. Um, but that's not always the case. And actually that, that leads me to, you know, the next part of our conversation, I want to share with the audience that, you know, I mentioned it in, in the intro, but Leah has published a book. I actually, you know what, this might go on video. So (laughs) I've got a copy right here. Her book is called unstuck, uh, reframe your thinking to free yourself from the patterns and people that hold you back. So Leah, this book just came out recently. What made you decide to, to write this book and, and also share a little bit about what the process was like for you? Yeah. So, um, 
in general, I, I loved writing. I, I actually like for the last, I don't know, since I started in tech, I would say, so that's almost a decade. I've been writing articles, different things in the mediums about like team dynamics and, and sort of like kind of my ideas and thoughts about, about, you know, how to help build better teams um, in it and bringing a little bit more of my sort of like edge and authenticity to that, not sort of, you know, kind of like sort of experimenting with like, okay, how do I bring my voice to this sort of um, discipline? And, um, but it was really when um, I was in the middle of um, getting way more involved with coaching and diving more into that um, in my work and outside of work. I just started to hear the same kinds of struggles come up for people again and again, people feeling undervalued that their work wasn't visible, struggling with feedback, with comparison, with decision-making, all of these things kept just being a theme after theme after theme. And then I was experiencing all that stuff too. Yeah. And so I started writing, um, what ended up becoming the first draft. And I, um, it was initially nine chapters. So I had nine themes and I would just like, I spent, I think like the, um, break over the, not, it wasn't a break. We all have to work over the holidays, but like when my toddler was <laughs> school or daycare was closed, um, you know, the early mornings of like, from like five to 7.00 AM while she was sleeping. And then like, you know, seven to 9.00 PM, just writing and writing and writing. And I had the first manuscript done in like two weeks and, um, it just poured out one, one thing and tip, if you're writing a book is like, it was broken across nine chapters so I could work on them in different orders. So that's like a, just a pro tip about organizing writing sure. a book is whatever you felt called yeah. to like go deep on that day. You could go to that section. Yeah. yeah. If it's kind of modular, that's much, much easier, but two, it was the book and you've read, I mean, it's, it's very much in my voice. It's not, um, it was like my own thoughts on paper and it was sort of like a real moment for me to be able to speak as I, you know, share my stories and say things the way that, you know, I wanted to say them and be a little bit sarcastic and be a little bit silly and offer tools and offer ideas and, and bring together the stuff that I had researched and learned. Um, and, and, you know, my goal was really, you know, to share, what is it like when you're in the middle of this, when you're not an executive looking back, you know, when you're not like, I mean, lean in has a lot of, you know, recognition and it's, I think there's some value there, but like, it's like, this is a billionaire looking back on what it was like, like from the beginning, it's just a different perspective. Right. And so there's, um, I really wanted to talk about like, these are real mistakes that we can make. These are real challenges. These are real places that we feel stuck so that people would feel like, Hey, you're not alone. Um, you know, it's not weird. You're not the only one that blew a negotiation (laughs) or something like I did it. And, and, um, it's been really, I think as folks have read, they felt really connected to it because, um, like they feel like they're just having a conversation with a friend. And when I hear that, that's the the biggest goal, like that, that I had in the book was like, that it's just like, we're talking about some stuff that's hard and some things that I've tried, some things I've heard that have worked. And like, you know, you tell me what worked for you. And it's more of like, kind of that sort of feeling. Yeah. I love that because it's written from your own experience and the things that you've gone through. Um, they always say the saying is the met your mess is your message. Right. And I love yes. that because from that place, often the struggles, the things that we've dealt with that we've somehow gotten to the other side can be the thing that you can help others to navigate as well. Yeah. Uh, 
And I love that you just decided to say, you know what? I've gone through a lot here. I've learned a lot. Let me document this to help anyone else who's right in the throes of it. Because as you said, a lot of books kind of look back, but don't help people navigate through the situations when they're actually right in the middle of them. So that's yeah. so awesome. So now that you have a book called Unstuck, I I bet you get a lot of questions <laughs> from people about saying, I feel stuck. You know, what do you think people really mean when they say mm. they are stuck? That's a great, great question. And I think one thing I, I typically ask is like, what does that mean for you? Right. Because I think a lot of times um, we think that we know what someone means, especially when someone uses like, I'm overwhelmed or I feel, um, you know, things like these big words, we don't, we would put, well, what would it mean for me to be overwhelmed? Like I have too much going on. I have too much work. Someone else might be like, I don't have anything going on and I'm scared. True. Right. Like, yeah. so, so it's like, I think first is thing. And so when I ask folks about that, I actually have a quiz that, um, you know, on my website for folks exploring coaching, like, you know, what are the places where you feel stuck? Right. So I encourage folks to fill that out so that we know, okay, where do we want to start the conversation? Um, and, um, I think what I typically hear is, you know, I keep trying, you know, to, to push through, I keep trying the same things and I just can't get there. Or, um, it feels like this thing that works for everyone else doesn't work for me. Like there's a set of rules that everybody else is aware of and I don't know what they are. So that's typically what I hear when people feel stuck. Like I just, yeah. ah, I'm trying all this stuff and I don't know what to do. That's this feeling that I keep hearing. And, um, and in the book, I apply it across these 12 dimensions from feedback to talking about your work and impact, to decision-making, negotiating, to comparison and beyond. Like there's different ways we get stuck in those situations, often because of these limiting beliefs that mm. we start to attach to because of all of the, you know, biases, double standards, societal pressures, how we're socialized, you know, what sort of this whole context comes together telling us feedback is something people don't like about you good work just gets noticed. Don't talk about money. You know, you're a bad decision maker. You know, <laughs> you should be yeah. further ahead in your career. It tells us all of this stuff that we then maybe we fought it off for a little bit of time, but then we have a setback. We're like, oh, they're right. I'll never be able to mm -hmm. <laughs> do this. Right. And we've internalized all yeah, of those things. Then. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, you know, I think these things, and you mentioned that kind of just keep your head down myth. And, and it's like these these things just start to really, really work against us. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the biggest challenges, and I think you and I have heard this a lot come up in the mastermind and in other places, like is talking about our work and really putting yourself out there is a way harder thing than people feel yeah. like it should be. And it yeah. brings up all sorts of stuff of like, do people care? Should I be paid enough for this? Should I, shouldn't I just do it because I love it? Or, you know, and I, and I talk mm -hmm. to more and more coaches and entrepreneurs and I'm coaching other coaches, and entrepreneurs and reflecting on my own journey. This is like a huge, huge, huge blocker for people is, yeah. um, really like owning the expertise, owning the authority saying, yeah, I have something unique to bring. It is worthy. It is going to help people. And really the more you lean into how you are helping people, you know, it's like, it's not about you. It's not about people like you or not. It's about this, 
you know, this transformation you can create. But yeah. along the way, we get so in our own way, <laughs> like, oh, but I didn't get likes on this thing. And, and I think we're in this context of comparison, where it's like, it's, it's just like force on us, it's thrust on us across social media and like, and seeing what everybody else is doing all the time that you, you know, you can choose to kind of opt out of, but not really, cause you need the tools to run your business. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. like, you can't really opt out that we can get even more stuck in the unstuck process because it's just like, you know, it's firing in your face at all times. Yeah. I I find when I'm really feeling blocked or stuck for me, what happens is, is sort of not knowing what my next decision needs to be. And so what I do, instead of trying to think about the decision, I think about the next action that I can take that moves me closer to the bigger goal or why or purpose. And so when I can connect back to my purpose, a, the other thing that that does for me is it instantly reminds me, this isn't about you. So when you sit here and you think about your problems of why you're stuck or the, the obstacles or challenges you have, and then on the other side of it, say, well, if you don't figure this one out, you're missing out on impacting the people that you're trying to serve. So what is one action that you can take that at least gets you closer in to, to whatever that, you know, the person you're trying to help without having to figure it all out. That's Mm -hmm. my problem sometimes is I try, I I feel like I need to have the whole thing figured out the whole vision and map. And until I know exactly all of those steps, I can't move forward. And I've had to really drop that and -hmm. just break it into, like you said, micro steps that allow me to keep moving forward. As long as that action or decision is aligned with the bigger goal, then I just make that decision. Yeah. And I break down the bigger ones into those micro steps. And sometimes you're going to get it wrong. But the key is if you sit in the stuckness, there's no clarity there, right? Right. And and it can, like you said, get you more stuck. So I find quieting things out to quieting all the noise, getting off of social media, you know, not necessarily going and debriefing it, your issues with your friends or your family, Mm -hmm. just sitting with it a little bit and, you know, thinking about what that next action should be that feels good, that feels aligned without having to crowdsource your decision uh, really helps me. That's, that's what I've done, but I loved all the things that you also shared about, you know, what is the stuck thing, first of all, that you're feeling knowing that because it might be very different than I'm just overwhelmed versus I'm stuck because I I don't know what to do next. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, the central theme of the book and, and really the work that I do is around the power of reframing or looking mm-hmm. at a challenge through a new perspective. And I think exactly as you've done with decision-making, the, the, the stuck perspective is really, I have to have it all figured out. And so the reframe is really saying, okay, which is, is essentially the question, what's another way to look at this? The answer is, okay, breaking it up into micro steps. Right. And so by, by, by stopping this, like, and like exploring that stuck feeling and saying, okay, what is another way to look at the situation? What is something I haven't tried? What might I do next? What else is possible? I love that. So by using these reframing questions, 
we see, hey, little steps, right? This is the mm-hmm. this is the answer that you found really special for like overthinking decisions or feeling blocked on a decision. Um, yeah. I also I think, asked, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, no, you go ahead. Was it was something that's like, you know, for people that struggle with negotiating or asking about mm-hmm. money or, you know, sharing about pricing, um, you know, maybe you're not sure, you know, what to ask from investors, right? We're talking about founders. Like there's, you know, really the reframe with another way to look at this is like somewhat of what you said around the decision is like that. It's not about me. It's about the value of this thing that I'm producing and mm-hmm. the transformation it makes or the, the, you know, the way it helps people or the service it provides. And when we shift that frame, we see we're having a more objective conversation around the value of this, you know, sure. thing that's external to you. Right. And so you start to see really reframing and, and getting unstuck. And in, in my perspective is about like doing a lot of work to depersonalize all of these messages and all these beliefs, because it's not, everything is not about us and about how people perceive us. And some stuff is, <laughs> but it's not as much as we think. And when we can shift it to being looking like a piece of feedback, this was about how that meeting was run. It's mm-hmm. not about if I'm worthy of having a job yeah. ever again, right? Like just like move it away from being, you know, you and your essence you start to see it's a lot easier and you become so much more resilient to all of the topics that talk about in the book and beyond. Yeah. I think so much of this is really just our perception and our mindset. And so being able to have the tools to say, how can I reframe this situation and not attach a meaning of I'm a, I'm a failure or I'm not worthy or no one sees me, no one's listening. I, I suck at this, whatever it is that you are doing in your head, having those tools to say, no, this is just actually, you know, the circumstance, what I'm feeling is not fact. It's just my perception. I have to do that. Sometimes it's really just parse out, out of this scenario that I'm looking at, what's actually real. Am I actually stuck, you know, or am I just in indecision? There's, is there anything that's actually blocking me or is it all in my head? And often the answer is it's in, in, in your head. And when you know that it helps you to kind of get out of the stuck place and start thinking about, okay, what parts are in my control? Mm-hmm. What can I actually do next? And the other thing I, I like to ask myself too, in that place is what is the cost of my inaction, mm. right? What happens when I don't do the thing? when I sit in this stuck place. And then when you ask yourself that, you're like, well, I don't get to impact this person or get my ideas out in the world or finish this podcast episode or whatever. Sometimes I even get blocked when I'm thinking about the questions I need to write. And then as soon as I write the first question down that I'm going to ask a guest, the rest of them follow. It's so interesting. So I've had to remind myself that you're not stuck. This isn't hard. These are people you are genuinely want to ask questions of. Just get the first question down and then it flows, yeah. right? And so obviously that's a smaller scale stuck. There's bigger scale stuck things as well. Um, but for our listeners that you know might be feeling stuck or blocked with something, or they're looking to maybe make a change in their life, career, or business. What are the you know top steps or you, that you recommend that they take? Yeah. So the first thing is really, you know, asking ourselves, you know, what is another way I can look at this situation? Mm-hmm. Um, because like you said, just pausing and, and asking yourself, it stops that autopilot. So like, 
I think with, you know, a really related example to what you're talking about is with imposter feelings, right? I think mm. a lot of times we create this story that, you know, everyone's waiting for us to fail around you. And, and if you just said, what other evidence do I have? You see like, well, okay, like not everybody's watching me or I am new at this, or I've only been doing this thing for two weeks, or, um, I actually have figured this kind of thing out in the past. You allow more data to be available to you to make a, sure. a different conclusion. So I think the first step is really, um, to recognize you're stuck and starting to ask some of these reframing questions. The other thing is really observing, well, what were the questions that you were asking yourself when you were feeling stuck? And a lot of times those start with the word, why? Why did you do that? Why isn't this working out? Why, why, why? Which are all why me, right? They're all iterations of why, yeah. why me? And when we are in a why space, we just get more and more like defensive and blamey and feel more shame and feel more, you know, like it's, it's just puts you kind of further down the rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. So we want to catch those kinds of questions and actually reframe those to what, you know, or what how. might have happened, right? Uh -huh. What is another way? And so that's how you get to these reframing questions. So I guess the order is first to look at the questions, then ask the different questions, um, because typically that's the cue that I'm feeling stuck when I'm in this why me space. Um, another cue that you're feeling stuck is using absolutes. This always happens or I'll never get it right. These sort of extremes are real good indicators and, and sort of ask yourself, okay, is it true? Like you said. Is it true that it's always, no. Is it true that it's never, no, it's just not yet. Mm -hmm. And then the biggest, biggest tip that I can share and a mantra that I've been saying, um, you know, over and over, it's something that has helped me get through rejection, setbacks, mistakes is it's not you, it's your approach. Mm. When you change your approach, you will guarantee change your outcome. Yeah. And how do I know this? Right. Is because, so I think my TEDx talk, I had um, wanted to do a TEDx talk for a number of years. I had applied, got rejected, got rejected again, again, third year of getting rejected. I said, okay, I gotta do something differently. Right. I really want to do this. I believe in my idea. I want to put it out there. I got to figure out what's going wrong. So I hired a coach and first conversation, the person said, oh, it's, it's not your talk. It's the way you're positioning yourself. They're actually, you know, you've all this background in, you know, tech, you really want to ample highlight that the stuff you did in team, not, not this other thing. And it was a positioning thing. It had nothing to do with the freaking talk, mm -hmm. the idea, anything. And I realized it was, it, it was so eye-opening. And I started to share the story when I was, you know, giving the Ted, like after doing the Ted talk and sharing about it, it was like, if you look at this and you say like, oh, someone did a Ted talk. Yeah, that's, that would never be for me. I'd never get it. It wasn't on the first try. And it was only because I kept saying, okay, I got like, it hit me. I have to do something different. And when I changed that approach and got help and figured out my positioning, I got picked for a great event. I did it. You know, the, the Ted talk went really well. It ended up being selected by TEDx or sorry, TED.com to promote across their channels. Mm -hmm. This was all because I said, I really believe in this. I have to do something differently you know? It, yeah. It, it, I love, I love change your outcome. I love this because often we get, when we get that first, no, we just stop there. We don't try again. Or if we try again, we're using the same approach. Right. So the reality is, is you do have to change your approach sometimes. And look, it was just such a simple thing to yeah. reposition. And it wasn't that you had to go back to the drawing board yeah. and start over. And so I love that, like 
can you look at the problems that you have in with a different lens? And, you know, I think it was Einstein that said you, you, you can't solve a problem with the same mind that created it, something along those lines. Yes, now, I love that. yeah. And sometimes that's where having a coach actually can help too, because they're going to help you see the problem from a totally different perspective. You, you know, in this case, it was a coach for, you know, you doing this Ted talk, but whatever you might find an advisor or co yeah. coach or mentor or friend or anyone to help you see the problem from a different perspective, because it is hard to find a different approach on your own. Yeah. And that, exactly. and that's why, you know, both Leah and I do the work that we do is to help people see those problems differently and help them navigate it differently for their lives. Yeah. So yeah, I like, exactly. I love, I love that you shared that. Um, we've talked about purpose for sure. You know, for me, I personally think that having that purpose and having that North star for yourself can really help you to navigate out of stuck places. What, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah. I mean, um, I absolutely agree. I mean, I think this is the, what we talked about with tuning into really your values and what's important to you. Like, I think a lot of times when we feel stuck, it is because we're out of alignment, right? That we're doing a job that isn't, you know, isn't really tapping into the things that we are really great at or that we really care about, or we're in a company that maybe goes against our values or we're, our, our real value is like flexibility and family. And we don't have time to see them because of what the situation we're in. Right. And so I think that's why really being clear on what you're valued on purpose, it, it, it allows you to understand why you're feeling stuck. And there's going to be moments probably where you, where you can't have all of your values being met, or some of them are in conflict, but we have such a better ability to understand why what's going on internally is the way it is when we know what that is. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the moment I figured out that really my purpose was around helping, you know, teams work more effectively together, helping people thrive in the workplace. And, and that was really, then I could bring that in. We, I could introduce that entrepreneurial spirit, like we talked about, right? Because I knew, Hey, there's a lot of ways to achieve this success. Mm -hmm. So it gives you that in like that intrinsic motivation. It doesn't mean I have to be have this one achievement purpose allows many ways to achieve success, which is also a really important piece yeah. of it that it, it makes there, you know, it's just a lot more available to you. Um, it gives you more, you know, resilience when you have a setback because you didn't just have, I want to have this title in this one company. Otherwise I'm an epic failure. It's like, Hey, I want to be a leader. I want to motivate teams. There's a freaking thousand ways you could do that. Yeah. But you may not have this one title, this one job. And if you just say, associate all of your value along this thing, it's like, that's going to be tough for you if that doesn't work out. Absolutely. So that's another piece of the purpose. That's so important. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, your, your purpose is your why, right? Like why you're doing things and, and why it matters to you. The how doesn't have to always be figured out right away. Yeah. And the how might look 17 different ways to actually achieving the why. Yeah. So that's where, when you just have an overall guiding light, then you might say, well, like you just said, I can, I can go about it this way or this way, and I'll still be able to advance my why. Yeah. And I think the reason where people get tripped up is they think they also need to know the how. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, and I personally feel like once you know the why, the hows will show up or it's a lot easier for you to choose a how and say, I'm going to try it this way. And, 
if it doesn't work that way, you can try it another way, but it's still ultimately moving your why along. That's, that's how I like to approach it. And I also think our purpose evolves, but having a place, a starting place to know why you're doing the things you're doing helps you to especially get through those challenging times because you're not, when you're so connected to a why you can't just give up. Right. Right. Um, it also, I find helps clear out the noise for me when I have a purpose, it, it becomes sort of a filter to say, well, does this thing move my purpose along or not? Mm -hmm. And that might even just be not overloading yourself and saying yes to every single activity event or ask, or that comes your way because it becomes, for me, it's become a lot easier to say no almost to things because I know that that decision isn't necessarily aligned with what I'm working on, like the bigger yeah. goals that I have. Whereas before yeah. I used to say yes to everything because I had fear of missing out on a potential yeah. opportunity, even if it wasn't something that I really ultimately wanted. Right. Yeah, so. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, what, what would you say is the thing that really holds people back ultimately from achieving the success that they desire in their career or business? I think, you know, it's so we talked about, it's like, believe, like not recognizing when you're stuck in a cycle of limiting beliefs, mm-hmm. things that other people have imposed on you, things that you've started to subscribe to because of hearing them over and over. Um, I, I think that's the biggest thing that, you know, it is. So I guess, as you called it earlier, it's, it's mindset. And I'm not saying that the mindset can often be adopted because all this other difficult, horrible, unfair stuff has happened. Right. I'm not trying to say that's like, no, just cheer up all in your head. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not about looking on the bright side. It's about saying, here's the context I live within. Here are the things that are hard. Here are the forces against me. And what, and and what am I going to do? Despite that, we're going to try to fix the system while, you know, working through our own, you know, our own, like pushing forward. And I think that's, um, it's a combination of, you know, this recognizing what is the mindset pieces that are becoming blockers? What are the actions that we want to take? And what are, what's the support that we can lean into around us? I think a lot of times, you know, I think a place that can make us feel, you know, hold us back is when we don't ask for help, when we don't, when we yeah. feel like I just got to figure this out myself, when we, you know, we don't sort of look at what our network is and the people that here that want to help us, that believe in us. I think that can be a really big piece too, is, um, believing you have to go at it alone or, mm-hmm. you know, have to do everything yourself. Yeah. The, the awareness piece is, is, is huge, right? Being able to say, I'm aware that this is, this has happened to me, but that this is potentially what's holding me back. And then sort of saying to yourself, well, what, what can I do about it? Who, who can I reach out to? What resources can I get? What help can I get? Because we're like you said, we're not saying it's all in your head, but we often are creating narratives or living out old narratives that aren't really the true reality, but we are so attached to that narrative because that's all we've ever known that we don't really give ourselves permission to write a new narrative. I think that's sometimes what Mm -hmm. it is too, that we think we're not allowed to write a new narrative Mm -hmm. because this is just the way that I've lived and I've been brought up and I was raised and this is my background. And so this, this 
life isn't meant for me because mm-hmm. I've, I've had this experience in life versus that person's had that experience in life. And yeah. the reality is, you know, it's, it, it is a choice, but it is one that all of us are navigating together, right? Like, I think sometimes we see other people having success and we think that, oh, they've just had it easy or they, exactly. you know, but they've had to navigate their own, own, um, stuff through all of that too. Right. Yeah. What's yeah. helped me. And I think, well, I know it's helped you as well as working with others, working with coaches, working with people or tethering yourself to people who are doing the things that you want to do and, and really understanding from them, their, how their process that they, they are using, because sometimes we think the thing that we want to do is so complex and so hard until we just realize, oh, actually, this is all that that person did to to get there. And I'm not minimizing what people have done, right. but you know, I've I've even just starting the podcast. I used to think it was this crazy thing to start a podcast. I mean, it's not easy, but it's doable. And yeah. I just had to tether myself to people who have done it yeah. and follow in their their lead and their example. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I love that. So when would you say that you think is the right time for someone to consider kind of, you know, going out on their own or pursuing their passion or business idea, or even just pivoting within the, 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 their own career where they are right now? I think, um, I think there's a moment when it hits that, like, we can't not do it. Like we kind of feel like, Hey, this is like, sort of like, you know, oozing out of me no matter what. And I know that's, that's what I've heard from a lot of folks. What I felt myself was like, I, you know, I couldn't stop coaching people and, you know, doing team workshops within, you know, Google, even when it was like, it made me have, we working like 10 plus hours a week outside of my regular job. Right. I was like doing a lot of mentoring around how people write performance reviews effectively. Like that wasn't my day job, but I like loved it so much. It was so important to me to help people have their work represented. So I think when you find yourself in a place where you can't not do it, that's a real Mm. signal that like it's calling at you. It's like reeling you in to do it. Um, I, like I said, I think there's moments when we can't actually take a financial risk. We, maybe we don't have the runway set up to be able to, you know, make that leap. Maybe, you know, we're waiting for this, you know, financial milestone in order to be able to make a change. Um, all of that has to be weighed in. And I think that's when we maybe kind of go back to some of the stuff we talked about earlier of like, are there ways to kind of cultivate a little bit of this as you're sort of waiting to make that transition? A lot Mm -hmm. of times that can take shape as like, really building your network, right? Talking to people about like, Hey, is this something you'd be interested in outside? Yeah. What's a problem you're having, right? Sort of doing a little bit of user testing to sort of get some more confidence in your idea that, Hey, I need less of a runway because I actually have all this interest built on the outside. Sure. And, and potentially you've even lined up your first client by doing yeah, that, right? Exactly. Yeah. I think that's so important is to do the market research before you just jump or leap into something new by testing out your idea with someone and getting that feedback, yeah. because often we share, we don't share our ideas because we think they're golden. And, and if we share them, someone's going to do them. And so we'll just kind of hold on to it until we build it and, and launch it. But maybe your idea is great to you and and not not as great for others, or it needs a tweak, or it just needs some informed feedback on on what you can do. And I think a lot of that can be done, you know, through even just conversations with friends, 
What do you yeah. think about this idea? And yeah. and I've stopped worrying about sharing my ideas with person, the persons or people, sorry. The reality is if someone wants to go and run with your idea, they'll run with it, but you're still going to do it in the way that you're going to do it uniquely, yeah. uniquely to you. And reality is most people aren't out there to, to take your ideas and go start a right. new business based on them. Um, so I think that's good feedback is, is to start getting or good advice to start getting that feedback while you're in your current, current job. And yeah. I would add to that. If you do have plans to, that you do want to leave, um, a lot of times we think that, well, I won't leave until I have this crazy amount of runway. I would say build some runway for yourself. Three to six months at a minimum, in my mind, is is a is a healthy amount to say, and it doesn't have to be three to six months of your corporate income. It could be three to six months of what you need to live, right? To to support yourself and your family. But when you do make the leap and you have a bit of that cushion, you, and, and the bigger the cushion that you need to feel comfortable for yourself, you know, give yourself that. But when you're building a business without the pressure of, or without all the noise of everything in your current environment, the ideas can kind of come in faster, Mm -hmm. Right. So there is the balance of build the side hustle. And I always tell people start there because you also want to see if you actually like the thing that you think you're going to like doing. So if you can pick up, you know, say you have a desire to be a coach and you can just pick up a coaching client on the side or two and say, well, do I, I I thought I wanted to be a coach, but I don't actually like this. Right. Um, so get the, get the feedback before you make the leap. But when you're ready to make that leap, I will, I will say just build yourself the cushion. And then personally, I think go all in, you know, when you're ready, when you feel ready to do that, because often you don't know what you don't know and what's on the other side, when you actually make the leap is, can be very exciting and you can't see any of that when you're still where you are. Yeah. You can't, you can only see like, like 10%, but once you're on the other side, you start to see 20 and 30 and and it, it's, it's pretty exciting. So what would your, what would your advice be, you know, final advice be for any of our aspiring entrepreneurs that are listening today who might be considering their own entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, I think it's sort of what, what we just said was get, get feedback, but also like go hard on your belief. Like if you, if you've lived it and you've experienced it and it's something, a problem that you really know is there that other people are experiencing it too. And so you might get doubt from your parents or your partners or your friends around like, oh, should you do that? Or, you know, but I think there's a, there's like a combination of collecting feedback and insights and finding this audience, but also really, you know, believing in yourself and, and kind of like having to know it's going to have to be a lot, a lot, a lot of belief and rebelieving as you go. Mm-hmm. Um, but to go for it. And then again, if you're, um, to not give up too early, I would say, but if you, if something's not working, you know, to change, to, it's not you, it's your approach and to really like, you know, weave in that mindset. Yeah. Yeah, Just pivot, right. Like before throwing in the towel. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I, I agree on the belief piece and I certainly believe in you and all that you're, you're doing. And I just love watching, you know, your growth on, and the start of your journey and, uh, we'll continue to support you. So, I, um, I'll just wrap up here. I always like to ask our list, our, sorry, 
our guests what they're listening to or reading these days, just because it gives me ideas for myself. So what's, what's, what's in your ears or on your eyes to these yeah. days? So I like to listen to, um, or be reading, uh, like one kind of fiction fun book at, at a time and then one sort of work related book. Um, yeah. so I just finished the book, um, lessons in chemistry, which is fantastic. Okay. Um, it's a, it's about a woman in the fifties that was, um, you know, a chemist and kind of all the stuff that she had to face around people not taking her seriously at the time. Um, mm. there's and, a theme <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and it's very funny. It's very kind of like kind of quirky. So it's a really good book. And then the business book I'm reading is, um, lead to win. I also, uh, listened to this is by Carla Harris, who is a, um, I think vice chairman at Morgan Stanley for a long time. Um, now a senior client advisor, and she is um, one of the leaders that I've looked to the most around, you know, how to expect to win is the book I read before I'm just looking at it, and then lead to win. Um, she offers these, what she calls like pearls of wisdom that she's found along her career, really in a authentic, here's where I got stuck. Here's kind of something I tried way that um, expect to win is really about navigating your own journey. And then lead to win is about how you bring that to leading teams. Um, she reads the book. She's fantastic. Uh, just absolutely love, love all of her stuff. Her name's Carla Harris. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you. And lastly, how can our listeners engage with you online? Yeah. So, um, a couple of ways I mentioned, um, I have my, uh, coaching quit. So, you know, if you're interested in kind of figuring out well, where you're stuck and, and what to do from there, um, head to leahgarvin.com slash coaching quiz. Um, for some do's and don'ts around talking about your work, I have a freebie you can grab at leahgarvin.com slash tips. Mm -hmm. Um, and you can, so you can also check out my website, leahgarvin.com, learn more about all the work I'm doing and then find me on Instagram at leah.garvin. So those are the main ways. I also have a YouTube channel where I share a lot of the tips and themes. I talk in my book, um, called reframe with Leah. Awesome. Well, we will be sure to link all of those in our show notes. Leah, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a fun conversation. Yeah. All right. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Futura Talks. I hope it has left you inspired and motivated to pursue your dreams, find your calling, and follow your heart in your life and business. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean so much to me if you would consider leaving a review and better yet, sharing this episode with someone who will be inspired to start building their own Futura. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and I will see you next week.